And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of the things that were spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Luke 1, 46-55, NIV, Mary's Song. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free, and he began to pray, speak, praising God. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of, the, of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Donna and Jonathan, for doing that reading for us this morning. The baby was the bonus. <laughs> ah, so the, those words that you heard, the Magnificat, the Latin word for magnify, that was Mary's song that was read by Donna. And it was a song that was sung by Mary and prompted by the news that she would be carrying and giving birth to the Messiah, the baby Jesus, the savior of the world. The Benedictus, the Latin word for blessed, was Zachariah's song of gratitude that was sung eight days after his son's birth where the name John, who would one day be known as John the Baptist, would be given to him rather than the traditional family name. And I think Yumiko talked, Pastor Yumiko talked about that last week. John would grow to become one of God's servants, even baptizing Jesus. These songs are two of four canticles in Luke, which are essentially characterized as spiritual hymn text. We know from worship on Sundays and special services, and perhaps even in your reflection time, that songs can stir and move us. They convey messages, emotions, stories, milestones, and even our deepest hopes and desires. 
I remember as a child riding in the car with my dad when he'd be taking us to school or picking us up from school. And one of the popular songs that we'd often hear on the radio was Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You. How many know it? Okay. Great song, classic. <laughs> um, it was a few times that I would hear my dad sing. He'd be singing along and he'd be tapping to the beat and seemingly look very relaxed and happy. And today, whenever I hear it, I think about him. I also wondered why he liked the song so much because he would never just call anyone to just say, I love you. <laughs> So, yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> um, so songs can also be stories that wouldn't normally get told and emotions that normally wouldn't be shared. But when you put them to music, they come alive and they reach audiences. When I went with my daughter this past summer to see Taylor Swift in concert, I was convinced that she is quite the storyteller and a provoker of emotion she was able to excite and inspire and connect with her gift of song. And then there are songs that are relevant to real world events and circumstances that are happening around us. John Lennon's Imagine in the 1970s is just as relevant today as it was back then. James Brown with Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud was composed in the 60s in response to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Pink Floyd wrote about oppression in school and conforming in the 1970s. Okay, you gotta know this one. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. <laughs> in the 80s, it addressed the neglect of Vietnam veterans. It wasn't just theme song for a presidential candidate. And then there was the one written over 2,000 years ago by a young, pregnant teenager who spoke out in faith that those who were oppressed and unseen, poor and powerless, would one day be redeemed and renewed by God's son, Jesus, who she was going to give birth to. Her name, Mary. As one who stood in the place of victim herself, overlooked and unworthy, she sees the brokenness of the world and its oppressiveness because she's living in it. But God chooses Mary in the most bizarre circumstances to be the one to bring the Messiah, the Son of God, into this world. And Mary takes this to heart. Remember when Mary was told by the angel that she would bear this child, it wasn't about disbelief, but it was really about wondering, why me? Why me? And yet she is the perfect choice because of her faith to be able to embrace this monumental event in history that is going to happen. How does this all relate to our Advent series? How does a weary world rejoice? Singing? I mean, you know, when we selected this series, I was on board. I thought, Many have felt the weight of weariness for a while, including myself. But what I didn't factor in was that I would feel this weary, that it was hard to prepare this particular sermon on singing stories of hope to be able to rejoice.
it's been a long season for me. Now, first of all, you don't want me to try to stand up here and sing to you. <laughs> um, secondly, I would, it, I would be singing from this place, this, this place of weariness, which is different from where Mary and Zachariah were standing or singing. I actually tried to deep dive into the specifics of each of the verses in this song, but I realized this is a song, everything kind of flows together, right? That's what makes it a song. It's not just one, one part of it. And most of us aren't songwriters, and practically speaking, won't try to write a song unless it's a reflection question in your sermon notes, which it is. Reflection question number three, write your own song of hope. <laughs> I've written poetry, but never got as far as a song. So, so um, to take the pressure off of you, the invitation of hope starts with simply writing. Words, sentences, paragraphs, stories. And I'm going to share with you today three things that I see in Mary and Zechariah's melodic poems that I find can help lead me and hopefully you to respond to God's invitation of hope through song. Hope for something that comes from the goodness of God. Hope that has existed for a long time in the patient in-between of waiting. Hope that helps alleviate weariness wariness, worry, and waiting. Hope that helps us to respond meaningfully well and also increases our connection and our commitment to serve as best as we are able to in building up God's kingdom while we are here. So three things that invite us to respond to hope. Number one, God's process. God's process. Not ours, but God's. Mary and Zechariah knew and were singing prophecy of God's process. Both attest to the promise that God would be merciful to all for generations to come, just as he had done with their ancestors. Both were aware of the miracle that God had done with Mary, a virgin conceiving the Christ child. Both were aware of the odds being against Elizabeth and Zechariah to have a child. And yet this happened because it was all part of God's process. Mary and Zechariah could both entrust their babies to God because they knew that these children belonged first and foremost to God. And they were written into God's story with critical roles to be carried out. God's process was to intentionally select Mary, the least likely to humankind, but the most likely to God, the one who exemplified Christ-like character. They were able to rejoice in their song. They received and acknowledged God's blessing. Mary already loved this baby growing inside of her. Zechariah had a newborn, and let's not forget, he got his voice back. There's nothing like a child, a baby, a pregnancy that brings hope for what's to come. 
As Jonathan and Donna read these two songs, did you notice a number of the verses were dedicated to ways that God has been and would be an advocate and an activator of fairness and goodness among humanity? Scattering the proud, bringing down rulers, dismissing the rich in exchange for humility and provision and mercy. Mary reimagines the world and its people. It's a new way, a way of love and justice, but it will take the Messiah to reorder this broken world. Mary's charge is so forthright that the Magnificat has actually been banned in certain countries, depending upon the controversies that have been faced. Because her words of truth threaten their ideologies and theologies. With Zechariah, he talks about God's mercy, salvation, redemption, and righteousness. These are priorities of God and his holy work in this broken world that we live in. So number two, we are invited to respond with hope to God's priorities. I imagine that for Mary to burst out in song, praising God for entrusting her with carrying the Messiah was quite out of character. In fact, Mary's hope was pro has probably been awakened and restored in this process. She was a poor, unwed pregnant woman living under occupation, and yet she begins preaching and evangelizing and shifting the focus of her humble state to speak out for those who are unseen and unheard and unvalued, realizing that this child of hers would be the one to bring the kind of justice and goodness into the world that was so needed. Mary reimagines the world and its people. The proud are scattered, the humble are honored, the hungry will be fed, the rich will be sent away, those who are powerful will fall, and those who have been lowly lifted up. It's a new way, a way of love and justice, but again, it will take the Messiah to order, reorder this broken world. Zechariah too would be completely filled with the hope that not only was his son, John, born for a great purpose, but that he would be part of the grand plan of releasing Jesus to his public ministry here on earth. They both saw God's priorities. And lastly, we are invited to respond to hope with hope to number three, God's people. God's people. Jesus' ministry his call would be all about reaching people, to save people. And verse 54 says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. The incarnate God, Jesus, the Son of God, would come and be born a king in the poorest of circumstances, but rule as a servant to all of humankind. Zechariah sings in verses 77 to 79 about the merciful gift of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus would be the rising sun coming from the heavens, shining light on the darkness and in the shadow of death, 
guiding our feet into the path of peace. As we talk about Jesus shining the light on darkness and in the shadow of death, I ask you what particular people, places, causes, or circumstances are in need of the light of Christ? Who is captive that you know of to injustice? What comes to mind as you read Mary's Song of Hope? Perhaps the words spoken today make you think about the war in Israel, Gaza. In a weary and weary world, Mary's words resonate with conflict then and now. In preparing for today, I struggled with this message. Their songs, their abilities to come up with these words and put them to a poetic, melodic hymn so quickly, I had to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? I was thinking about times when I've watched musicals and you see them all like in unison come out together and they all happen to know the words of the song. So God naturally would have been instrumental, right? If the Holy Spirit's there, God would have been instrumental in orchestrating things. But in everyday life, I think I could sit here for days, maybe weeks, maybe even months, and I don't know that a song would come. Maybe I could write a story of hope or pray a prayer of hope. Nothing wrong with that. I kept asking myself over and over, how is this method versus the words themselves helpful for us today? And my big takeaway, aside from the three points that I shared with you today, of looking and listening and waiting on God's process to reveal his priorities to and with people, my big takeaway is that these are signs of hope that God is at work. As we hope, or as we muster up hope. And the bigger picture for me, at least, is that as Zachariah and Mary sing these words of hope, they are reminding us of who God is. His goodness, His greatness, and with that comes his process, his priorities, and his people. All compelling whys and hows for hope remaining alive, even when we feel at our lowest, our weakest, and our worst. Hope reminds us to wait on God to respond. Sometimes it may come as a blessing, that's what we hope for. Other times it may be more of a merciful act but these songs point to the assurance that God is always present and listening and waiting for us to run to him. Just as he is in the process, prioritizing for people, his hope for us is that we would make him part of our process, our priority, and be about pouring into people and relationships with them. Mary and Zechariah were conveying words of hope for you and I, that the time was near for God incarnate to come, God in the flesh, as a human being through Jesus, so that he could relate and connect intimately with people, sharing hope 
amidst the season of my life, one of the newer adjustments that my family and I have had to make is seeing my 97-year-old dad decline in health pretty drastically in the last couple of years since the pandemic. And I know the pandemic seemed to affect many in this way. I've seen a lot of clients in my practice and it's been, it's been a tough few years. And many of them are struggling with memory issues and needing more care. And my dad is one of them. My dad has always been the epitome of strength, physically, mentally, and willfully. And after he had surgery in 2021, there were clearly some deficits when he woke up from his surgery. And earlier this year, he got an official diagnosis of dementia, but that was just a formality as we'd already seen all of the signs. It's been really hard to see that decline. When I go and I visit him and I take dinner to him, we have the same conversations. And it's been a process of him asking the same questions every time, mostly about his grandkids and about myself and my life, um, which is new, different from when I was growing up. One of the things that has changed drastically is his demeanor and how he expresses himself. He's very kind and very appreciative. He's loving and concerned. I know that these are, these are characteristics of him that showed itself in different ways when I was growing up, you know, supporting us and uh, making sure that we got a good education and a roof over our head and, you know, um, and encouraging us to be the best that we could be. Um, in my years growing up with him though, as a child and as a young woman and, and even as an older woman now, my hope has always been just to be loved for who I am. That a day would come where I wouldn't have to try so hard. And we've had our breaks in our relationship where we have been estranged for a couple of years, a couple of times. And we've never talked about them when we've come back together again. It would just get to a point where I'd work through the hurt and the frustrations and I would get stronger and feel ready to be back in some kind of a relationship with him again until the next time. And there were times I asked myself, should I even hope anymore? There were not a lot, but there were times I thought, wow, I don't know. Um, am I just, is this just like me being kind of dumb <laughs> about it? Um, and I think, I, I can actually say if it weren't for my faith in Christ, for um, just knowing and studying and um, just embracing who Jesus is and the example that he set of loving others through the hurts. Um, if it wasn't the Holy Spirit nudging me to keep trying, I don't know. I don't know really if I, maybe I, I would have given up. In the last year, my dad, who used to consistently urge me to make something of myself according to his standards, the same man has become very unfiltered. The shoulds and the could could have have fallen away with his memory. Instead, he expresses his gratitude each time I visit with dinner, but he also expresses his gratitude for the person I am today. 
having forgotten what I really do now in life or where I went for my training, all of which were once so important to him. And last week when I went and I visited him after our same old routine of questions, he said, I love you for no apparent reason. And without my saying it first, it was so unexpected that I actually thought, wait, did I hear that right? Um, yeah, maybe he said something about loving the grandkids. I don't know, but, but no, those were his words spoken easily and unprompted. And I really believe that now he is very unfiltered, that God's taken away all the worldly stuff and given him this different heart. And when I went a few days later, he said it again, but louder and prouder. I love you. And he even added how much he worries about me doing too much and that he is happy when I come over. He tells me now that I'm a good mom and a good person. Things I've longed to hear from him because I tried so hard earlier to give my best. Things that previously were filtered and inaccessible because of the image I think that he had in his mind to be a financial provider and to raise successful children. That was understood. We're Asian. <laughs> but his, his mind no longer can remember the filters that once were so important. And so remember I talked about that Stevie Wonder song? I just called to say I love you. That had been a hope that I wondered about and carried all these years as a sweet memory that my dad would say I love you for no reason at all. And sometimes we hope for things and we don't even realize that God remembers even after many, many years. In our current world of turmoil and hardship, hope and love are why we can continue to keep going when we feel too tired too cynical, and it's been far too long. Our hopes may be very different, but God's hope for each one of us is the same. To just love us and to share the love of God with everyone else. God's hope is universal and it's infinitely desired. And I remind those of you who are lyric challenged like I am, Hope does not have to come in a song. Hope can be spoken. Hope can be written in stories and poems through journaling. Hope can be read in the words of another who has been through what we are going through. Hope is in our prayers, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions, our hearts. Hope sometimes feels invisible or absent or even disappointing. But when it does show itself, I encourage you to hold on to that, the thrill of hope, and be reminded that God is listening, that you are not alone, that his love for you began a long time ago when God came down as a little baby named Jesus, born in the flesh. Hope came and hope remains as we wait to celebrate Christ's birth and his return. What are you hoping for? Perhaps it is restoration in a relationship. Perhaps it's a job or a promotion. Maybe some rest or healing. Perhaps it's a child or a deeper connection with Jesus. 
As the worship team comes up to pray, I want to ask you each now to take a moment to offer up your own prayer of hope, resting in the assurance that God hears and sees and knows you, and he waits with you. So we'll take a few minutes of silent prayer, and then the worship team will lead us in our closing songs. <laughs> 